You're listening to a Hindustan Times podcast brought to you by HD Smartcast. Hi, this is Manjula Narayan, National Books Editor Hindustan Times, and this is the Books and Authors podcast. It's a weekly podcast where I speak to authors who've got a new book out. Hi, so today we have with us Pradeep Sebastian, uh, the author of An Inky Parade, Tales for Bibliophiles. Hi, Pradeep. Hi, Manjula. So, you know, Pradeep, this is a very interesting book. And uh, I mean, there's, you know, there's so much information in it uh, that, uh, you know, at some point I felt like, you know, uh, you know, I've picked up this rock and I've got this lots of stuff happening there that I didn't know about, you know. So, <laughs> I don't know. Okay. That, yeah, that, that's, that's a great thing, actually, because when somebody is passionate about something, you know, it, it comes out. So... You know, you begin with, uh, you know, your childhood and in all those libraries, circulating libraries that were so ubiquitous until the 80s, right? So do you want to, uh, you know, tell the listeners about that? We start with that and then we go into your, uh, you know, with with the more uh, uh, meaty stuff. Yeah? Uh, Yeah. Uh, For me, uh, probably a lot of my other friends... Uh, joined the British Council uh, or maybe other institutional sort of libraries. (laughs) But somehow I I always just stuck to these uh, private circulating libraries. Mm. Uh, And so I kind of grew up on on them. Uh, All my reading came from them. And it's only much, much later after I joined uh, college that I sort of went on to become uh, get memberships in the British Library and you know other institutional libraries like that. So it, it was paperbacks became a kind of addiction because <laughs> that's all you got uh, in these libraries if you if you remember. Yeah. Uh, so uh, and I kind of discovered uh, you know a whole lot of stuff there. Uh, it wasn't just bestsellers, but uh, suddenly you'll come across uh, like a penguin. <laughs> paperback or you'll come across uh, a picador yeah. and then suddenly you in the middle of all those uh, all that popular fiction you'll you'll find something very intense and serious like a like suddenly a salinger book yes. would be there you know yes. and in the middle of reading all that uh, pulp fiction you suddenly read something like this yeah. so that that's that was my uh, experience of these places. So, how did you know? Just for the listeners, how did you um, start with collecting, you know, books, meaning fine, fine uh, uh, prints, you know, f- uh, not just any old paperbacks like the rest of us do. You know, everybody. I mean, everybody who likes to read collects books, but you've taken it a step further, and you, you know, it's like really uh, specialized. So. How did you get okay. onto that track? Yeah. Okay. Okay. The the finely printed books. Yes. Uh, you mean? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. That was. Uh, I think I. You know. I just stumbled on it. Really. Uh, uh, I think I'd gone to uh, an antiquarian book fair mm. uh, in the states, and uh, I didn't realize actually there was a, a fair just for fine press books, or what they call private press books. Yes. So that that whole experience was so uh, tactile. Uh, you know, picking up each book, uh, the paper that they were printed on, handmade paper, and printed letterpress, so you can actually feel the type uh, sort of into the paper. Yes. Uh, the, the whole thing was a, a hand, mostly a hand to produced book, because even the, it was printed on a hand press, and 
the type was set by hand. Mm. Uh, so it was quite, uh, it changed everything for me. <laughs> Suddenly I, I realized that this is how the book had uh, begun uh, when, it, when, you know, when printing started. Yeah. Uh, for nearly 200 years, it was like that before I think, uh, you know, uh, sort of the machine lithographic papers came on. Yes. Yes. But, you know, while I was reading your book, I was also thinking, I mean, people like, I'm guessing you and me, we, you know, uh, we, we are now older, right? And from that generation where we remember actually curling up with a book and, you know, and going into secondhand bookstores and getting excited by the smell of those books even. And going forward in, a, I don't know, I... I see, you know, my children not really into books. They read, but you know, they've lost that whole thing. They don't have that passion for the printed word. So, you know, I, when I was reading your uh, uh, your book, I kept thinking, what's going to happen? You know, what what's going to happen? What do you think? Uh, I, from from what I can uh, what I can see from the several secondhand bookshops that I sort of uh, sometimes visit, and I get a chance to speak to the owners. And to some readers as well, uh, e even young people still seem to be still sort of uh, attached to the book, the physical book. Really? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe it's just the young people I know who are not into <laughs> the electronic version, which is kind of uh, a loss. Yeah. That you know that, that you know I, I think when uh, Kindle and all happened, everybody thought that would be that's what would happen. Yeah. But after a few years, uh, they found out that people are still wanting to order. Uh, uh, actual book, uh, and, and that was the experience of several uh, Bengaluru bookshops as well. Mm -hmm. uh, they told me that they really feared that you know they would lose their business, but they found that a, a lot of young people, college uh, kids, would come and actually want the actual book. Um, so okay, so even collecting, you know, uh, 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 you think it'll continue to be as uh, uh, something that. A specific sort of person will continue to do. Collecting will always happen, I think, because see that's the difference uh, between the what you what you'd call a reading copy, mm -hmm. which is what you'd get in a second-hand bookshop or even a new bookshop, mm -hmm. uh, and uh, a copy that is a fine edition. Right? The the reading copy can always be got digitally. You know, yeah. you can always just read it off uh, digitally. And yeah. keep a copy digitally, but the fine edition, the antiquarian edition, is something that you can't. You yes. have to have that particular uh, copy. In fact, not just that edition, but a very specific copy. So that I think will always be here to. Will always be here to stay. I think. And you know, your book also made me think about collecting as you know a passion, and may, you know many people collect all sorts of things. So how how is the you know how is the uh, uh, the collector of fine prints different from, say, the collector of motorcycles, you know, antique motorcycles. I'm just saying, uh, I'm asking you since you, you know, you collect these things. So how, have you thought about that, you know? Oh, uh, <laughs> no, I haven't thought about that. Uh, maybe the, uh, the only difference I can think of right away uh, is that uh, with collecting books, I think it's uh, there's a kind of the attachment or the interest is uh, bibliographical. Uh, I, I I guess I don't know the other objects. I'm sure there's some component of uh, an awareness of uh, a history of 
say motorcycles, vintage motorcycles or stamp collecting, for instance, you know. Yes. Uh, certainly, there's a great deal of uh, history uh, and provenance that yeah. goes into it. But I think books have more of that. Books have more of, uh, you know, being attached to something bibliographically. Uh, so there's a slightly, uh, uh, I think, uh, a scholarly component to it. Yes, yes. Uh, yeah. And also, it's, I mean, when I was reading it, I was thinking that, you know, it's also kind of communing with other uh, other people who with the same passion, but across generations, really. I mean, somebody from the 18th century who's scratched something in the margins would yes. possibly give you, as you know, a real kick, right? <laughs> you know? Yes, yes, absolutely. In fact, I, I don't know. Uh, there's a book I wrote before this, which is actually a memoir of my me collecting mm-hmm. fine and rare books. Yeah. Uh, it was called The Beautiful Book, yes. a memoir of collecting rare and fine books. There I've explored this to, uh, to, uh, to a great extent. Uh, I talk about how uh, when I started collecting, uh, I had been reading about book collectors and book collecting, the history of book collecting. And suddenly I found myself a collector, you know, in the middle of all that. Somewhere it happened after maybe two or three years of just reading about the memoirs of uh, book collectors and antiquarian book dealers over centuries. Roughly, it began around the end of, end of the 17th century, you know, book collecting. Mm-hmm. And from being something that was, say, maybe something that the sort of the rich did, uh, something that the you know, privileged class did, it yes. became a more middle class thing, you know, as time went by. But uh, what I found was that I suddenly found myself completely connected to that history. Uh, in a personal way, because I I was buying books from uh, you know uh, very bespoke antiquarian bookshops uh, from uh, England like uh, Bernard Quaritch, Mags, uh, Pickering and Chateau. You know these had been there for about two hundred years. Yes. And the same collectors uh, who ha- who I was reading about had actually bought their books from there, and now I was buying books from that same bookshop. So that link. I suddenly found connected me to to them, and I I have some books with the book plate of some of these collectors. You know, uh, for example, uh, uh, you know uh, you have uh, somebody like Richard Heber, uh, who was a uh, who's considered maybe the the greatest uh, sort of book collector or bibliomaniac uh, in the history of collecting. I, I suddenly found a book with his uh, book plate in it. Wow! So I had something from his library, and uh, and he was there at the uh, end of the 18th century. Um, <laughs> okay, <laughs> so that's what I, I mean. You talk about uh, by association as well. So this is your, yeah. right. This is part of it, right? Yeah, it's a very thrilling experience to suddenly see that you're actually part of a long tradition of uh, uh, book collecting and a tradition of uh, a kind of transactions between a dealer and collector uh, that has been going on for, you know, perhaps three or four centuries. Yeah. And this also made me think, what about what about the Indian languages? I mean, why 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 isn't there a similar scene in that, in that space? I mean, we've got so many languages and of course, printing came a a little later, but still, you know, or is it that we're unaware of it, you know, and only specific people know about it? Uh, You mean in languages, in the languages? Yeah, say Tamil Uh, or Malayalam or Kannada, you know? Yeah, that's the the thing. I think you you don't have the books to collect. Uh, The only thing I know is that uh, a lot of pulp fiction... Uh, Hindi pulp fiction, yes. Uh, from I think maybe the, I don't know maybe from the 1970s on, 
uh, are being collected for uh, not the not the not the content but for the uh, cover art yeah yeah uh, i think that's happening with tamil also from what i heard but uh, but earlier in, than that hindi for sure i know uh, i think there was somebody called shell that was his uh, pseudonym okay he he's famous for having done a lot of the hindi pulp covers you know the hindi yes. uh, pulp novels that you would get in railway station payments yes, and yes. things like that yeah yes. so they those were i think uh, those lurid covers were became sort of uh, people began to uh, actually collect them okay uh, that's the only language i know of that maybe had something like that and in bengali there's something called heto books which are also books from the payment mm. which are also collected this is what uh, some of these people who teach uh, uh, at jadhapur have told me oh. uh, they have a course in book history and they talk about collecting these heto books and they ask their students to go into the markets and see if they can find these books and you know okay. collect them okay um, yeah Yeah, th- okay. I mean, there's a lot. Uh, for instance, here uh, in, in American universities, mm-hmm. even in in the Europe and UK, you have colleges which actually have uh, prizes for uh, book collecting contests. Oh, okay. So they set a theme, or they mm-hmm. ask you to set a theme, and then they you enter into a competition, and there's a, a there's a good prize money for it. Mm. so people who are still in college become uh, you know fairly sort of accomplished collectors okay okay they, they start with knowing nothing about it and then they dig into it and find that at the end of it they've got a, a sort of a collection that's uh, worth uh, studying about or being being written about okay uh, so okay. they instill that kind of uh, interest in you know Hmm. but uh, we seem to miss this somehow because we I missed mean, it yeah completely yeah post i'm sure you know like all the kingdoms had uh, post the moguls you know uh, these principalities must have had their own uh, uh, workshops right and how come you know i mean photography for instance we have like you know the rajputana has so much but it's rather strange that you know i was wondering when i was reading the book is it that we are ignorant of it or does it not exist could be either no no it's uh, i don't know if you uh, read the chapter in the book uh, which is about uh, richard kosa this collector of uh, yes yes indian inkinabla yes so he you know uh, not being from india still managed to actually find these books yeah and uh, you know uh, most of them are available not in india but uh, in the rest of the world yes and they they were being uh, sourced and stocked by antiquarian bookshops mostly in europe and in england and uk and he managed to and these were all books that were printed uh, in in 17th century india 18th yeah. century india uh, so it, it it was there uh, i think sometime maybe maybe in early part of the 20th century maybe it may have died out these books yeah, that he if he collected were actually books before the british raj yeah when it was still the british company you know yes once yes. the british raj took over largely of course uh, you know indians were part of that whole enterprise yes. right but yes. before that it was what they called the company you know yes yeah so the co- the company kept the standards of fine printing and fine production that they had in in uh, in england which is why though they may have used indian uh, printers and you know uh, binders mainly you know they they have a lot of beautiful binding that is there in the kosov collection it's actually done by indian binders but set to the standards that the british and europeans wanted so that was that whole thing was lost once the british 
Raj actually took over and it became official. Mm. Okay. Till then, the company people were, I guess, largely, you know, not part of, uh, I suppose, the Raj in that sense. Yeah. Uh, so they got, uh, uh, they they did some very very fine books. Yes. And yes. Uh, that that's what he he has. So. that's why i sort of uh, already he calls it uh, india's inkinabla you know the earliest kind of printing because yes. once printing once printing started in in uh, here in india it, it kind of unfortunately you know uh, died out and uh, and it soon became lithographic okay you know, when when lithographic came uh, they kind of embraced it so quickly you know it was uh, they dropped uh, actual printing Okay. Uh, letter press printing you know yeah. uh yeah so the transition was very quick and therefore uh, yeah very quick uh, abrupt and i think uh, uh apparently a lot of the uh, printers were uh, were you know uh, people who sort of wanted to kind of uh, reproduce you know in great numbers yes. rather than produce something that's uh, you know small and fine ah. so lithography came in use because you know you could So once you had the process going yeah you could do that so that's how some of we lost out i think on the fine book okay 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 so i was wondering about that so you know a lot of these pieces you said have appeared in the hindu right and which are the ones which didn't appear you know that you've written specifically for this you mentioned that also for the book yes yeah 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 all the there's a list of everything that was written be- published before at the back yes yes everything that's not part of that is written fresh for the book okay so um you know so i mean for instance like- adventures in book collecting or further adventures in book collecting oh. and then uh, all kinds of bibliophilia there are plenty of pieces there that i wrote fresh for the book okay i love this graham green book collector it it's like such a it's a, such a lovely piece i mean maybe because i like graham green but uh i mean i didn't know that uh, that he had this particular quirk as well so you know so do you want to talk about yeah that? yeah he is a, yeah uh, he he was also a brilliant in the sense because he knew how books signed by authors especially authors who have a reputation how that can sort of uh, climb in the market <laughs> he he was very wary of signing his books <laughs> <laughs> he did it only for the closest of friends and even then very reluctantly uh, and he never liked to see his books his inscribed books come up in the market oh uh, but you can't avoid that he, i'm sure he couldn't have avoided <laughs> it even when he was alive so. <laughs> yeah and and i found this very interesting in his introduction to with all falls green himself wrote the value of a collection to the collector lies less in its importance surely that in the excitement of the hunt and the strange places to which the hunt sometimes leads and that's like so spot on because in yeah. like that's what comes up throughout your book people are going crazy about finding and you yourself you know this very um focused way of getting uh, specific books so you know let's talk about that sure sure uh, you know that's the thrill of the hunt uh, the chase is you know what drives fuels uh, uh, all collecting probably and certainly book collecting and yeah. uh, uh, you know you kind of uh, once you find it immediately your focus is on the next hunt you know oh. uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, once it's in hand you know uh-huh. your focus is immediately to again to look uh, to give chase to something else Okay. That's what keeps, uh, and so you know, uh, if a collection is complete, 
then the whole thing is lost. The moment you, some people do that, they, they set out to collect something and they collect everything in that, in that field. And once they've done that, uh, you know, then it's just that, that finality of it, that there's no chase anymore, there's nothing to hunt for anymore. Uh, that causes like uh, a complete, you know, it's, it's something that they're not, uh, they don't want it to end, but it does. It does right. yeah. That would be depressing, I would imagine. Yeah. Yeah. Constantly. Unless then what some of them do is they start something new altogether. They begin mm. a new line of focus, a new line of collecting. That's what they do. So mm. uh, so that's it. I mean, that's the thrill of the chase is uh, you know, all the excitement mm. is there. Mm. And uh, I found this, uh, that particular chapter about people stealing uh, color plates from, you know, ripping them out from libraries. Uh, yeah. This, they really could do that. I mean, you know. They did because uh, until uh, for for a very long time in the in the libraries around the world, mm. uh, in in the uh, rare book libraries, I mean, you know, the the collections, the special collections, mm. they didn't have any security whatsoever. They the trust was you know so huge uh, that they allowed you to come uh, take out a book that was uh, worth maybe half a million dollars and just take it out by yourself, take it to a, a table or a corner somewhere and. Just look through it and just give it back. Uh, they they would never look to see after that if you know if it is intact, if there was anything taken out. Wow, that's really innocence. I mean, yeah, I- people could just uh, you know uh, pocket this. People would wear huge overcoats and you know, kind of uh, walk away with things. Uh, wow. And it's only after that that they began to institute a whole lot of security measures. And uh, whatever the institute was, never enough. Uh, there was always somebody who managed to, you know, sort of even outsmart that, you know, sort of uh, find a way to uh, get past that. Mm. Uh, so now it's becoming, actually, I've been to some of these rare book collections and it's now a little oppressive even, unfortunately, you know, mm. you come and ask for something. First, mm. they ask you to take out everything that you have in your pocket and everything. You have to, you can't even carry a pencil with you. Uh, oh. They would give you a pencil and paper. You can't absolutely carry anything except maybe your phone. Hmm. Uh, and your laptop, you can carry in with you. Okay. And you go sit down there. They go bring it, bring the thing, and they they give it in front of you. And they have a kind of foam, uh, kind of a, a, a foam holder huh. that you put it on. Okay. And you have to be very careful about how you turn the pages. If you turn two, three pages very quickly, they stop you. Oh. And then there would be somebody sitting a little above you hmm. on a table, hmm. overlooking, uh, watching you. Oh. Watching you every second. Gosh. <laughs> <laughs> so what a lot of these scholars do when they come to research, you know, they, mm-hmm. they have to absolutely depend on looking at these actual physical copies. Yeah. Uh, they are very, uh, you know, uh, they're scholars with, uh, you know, with a lot of uh, credential. They are really yes. accomplished scholars. Mm-hmm. So though they trust the scholars and though they know them for many years, mm-hmm. they still have to sit there and sort of uh, watch them. And okay. so the scholars have learned to just completely ignore it and not be bothered uh-huh. by it. But somebody like me who goes in once in a way, I, I stopped going because I find it so uncomfortable that they think every move you make, yeah. if you suddenly get up, if you suddenly get up for something, they immediately ask you to just sit down, not to Gosh. make any sudden, sudden moves. <laughs> My goodness. That, that's, unfortunately, that's the extreme it has come to from having nothing, uh, uh-huh. letting you walk in and walk out with, with the books. Uh, it's come to that. Oh, Quite frightening, actually. Yeah. And 
and obviously it's come after a lot of destruction so they have to yeah that's that's exactly <laughs> why you in fact even you turning the pages though you may not mean to uh, you know destroy anything yeah uh, they still uh, would rush to you and say don't fan the pages or you know just turn it you know sort of one by one mm-hmm. and every time you turn a page you know it, it won't stay right it would sort of come back yeah. so they have these light kind of ropes uh it's a rope actually at oh. the end of the rope there's a little bit of a weight okay so you place the rope on the page so it just holds it down very lightly oh. so the weight doesn't rest on the page the weight rests on the table but the rope itself just the the very light material that the rope is it sort of keeps the page open so that you don't hold the page they don't want your thumbprint there they don't want you holding it yeah it makes me think that there's possibly a person in some sort of security thing who uh who spends all, who i mean a whole team clearly who spent all their time thinking up this these ways to save the books right there's probably yes. a book in that also <laughs> you know i found the chapter on the runners london those london book runners superb you know i actually went and looked up these guys as well so uh, yes hmm. and it turns out that that drif i was hauled up in court for something according to a google search so maybe he's not yeah yeah dead. he's a slightly controversial <laughs> uh, controversial <laughs> yeah yeah so yeah colorful so, you know, I, sort of chat yeah, yeah yeah colorful so i found myself you know constantly like looking up things on uh, online when you know you're mentioning mentioning specific interesting books or you know so uh, there's actually Like while I'm reading this, I was also reading a lot of other things. So um, in that way, was that you know was is that something that always happens with your books, or is it, was it intentional? You know, to goad the reader to not just stick to the book. Like when I was like reading it, you know, there's so many little bits that I, I mean the 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 average reader doesn't know about. You know about uh, you know fine presses or or about specific characters who were. uh you know who are famous within within this sphere but not outside or you know historical characters yeah. or, or the runners you know all this so like while i was reading the book i was also looking up a lot of the stuff online so i mean I, that kind of added to the pleasure of reading the book quite honestly <laughs> because then you kind of introduced to a whole uh, other set of people you know factoids so but was that something you uh, uh, you thought about while you were writing the book because not everybody has the same passion for the same thing right <laughs> you know that that's uh, i mean this is what happened to be i happen to be have become interested in and uh, sometimes i i wonder you know uh, who might be interested in these things and i suppose a bigger concern for my publisher <laughs> <laughs> but who would want to uh, you know actually uh, look up things like this or want to uh, get absorbed in something like this so that was a risk i was taking with my earlier book really more than this one because this one at least has a range of things for the reader if yeah. you don't like maybe a whole section here you can skip it and maybe look for something you know uh, something else that might interest you but my previous book was very sort of uh, very focused very monomaniacally on collecting fine press books so uh this is a very detailed account of that mm. uh i i honestly don't know what the how indian readers still feel about it uh some of the reviews that i've got on goodreads and all that from readers they seem to think that uh it's kind of interesting mm. but i don't know beyond that uh how much it sort of engaged them and 
how much it kind of made them want to uh, look up or want to be collectors of fine press themselves hmm uh, still, uh, still i don't know here there's such a huge tradition of that that uh, I, i didn't have to uh, worry about that at all here to just fit in very snugly into uh, a lot of similar writing so so in the states do you find that you know like the books that you've written have kind of helped you in your collection collecting because other you know book sellers or uh, other people with the same interest would now know you right uh, yeah some sometimes i'm surprised they know me usually because i never ever tell them that i i am the i've written these books Mm. uh but sometimes they ask me when i'm kind of emailing them back and forth or talking to them mm. and i'm usually surprised they even come across a copy because these are only indian editions you know mm. uh these books are not available here my books it's okay. just that stray copies are sold by some ebay people or maybe some people on ebay books mm. occasionally maybe on amazon somebody is selling it but otherwise there's you know you don't have them in the bookshops you can't go into a bookshop here and and get these books because this is a hashet india edition Yeah, but but I'm now I'm always surprised they know about it. Yeah, but now everything is like everything is online, right? So I mean, uh, I find you know that every because it comes up online and because of social media, even people in Australia and the states, you know, are sometimes reading stuff that comes up in Indian newspapers. So yeah. it's not really. it's not really that surprising anymore i mean it might have been maybe 20 years ago when you know the world was very spread out and we didn't know what you know people would plagiarize things so freely in india because they knew that nobody would know anywhere else and he, uh-huh. you, <laughs> we can't do that anymore right <laughs> nobody can anywhere so i guess this is also a part of that right this they do they at least they what they the nice thing they do is they uh, they do review the book here yes uh, some of the major publications that deal with collecting have reviewed my books okay so that's always been good i mean to see a, a review there and that would sort of signal tell a lot of other bibliophiles and collectors that there is that book even th- and so they might go to some take some trouble to try and find a copy mm. uh, i don't know where they acquired it from but i guess they would just look around and try and get it mm. uh, sometimes they written and asked me if i can sort of uh, they can buy a copy from me oh uh, yeah. okay i can uh, i mean i was thinking that you know it it, it probably opens some doors for you now when it comes to collecting collecting itself i i don't think it has in uh, in any way uh, open doors <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh but only i think from the point of view of uh, maybe some of these uh, magazines and journals mm. uh when they ask me then to write to contribute to to them it opened it out uh, as a writer not so much as a collector okay oh yeah okay. so for instance that one on richard kosau yeah, yeah that was published in a, a a magazine here called fine books and collections okay uh, that's the premier uh, magazine uh, for for uh, fine books uh, oh. collecting and fine books and so on so uh, i thought it might interest them and it did and you know uh, and the collectors gave me so many you know absolutely fantastic photographs of all his books and his his rooms full of uh, these uh, these books uh, in so yeah it that made sense to mm okay you know another one of the really lovely pieces in the book was about the hoax the hoaxes i really laughed a lot when i was reading that so uh, you know talk about that and you know the the oh yeah 
Uh, yeah, absolutely. I, I, when I stumbled on the fact that there are some bibliophiles proofs and hoaxes, <laughs> uh, I absolutely dived into that whole literature of that, and uh, I think I made it a collecting focus. So yes. In fact, I, I managed to collect almost everything that's a bibliophiles proof or a hoax. Wow. So when you did this, it, it you spread it over years. I mean, how like you know the, when you followed this particular uh, uh, this particular when went down this particular rabbit hole. How long did it take you to to be satisfied that you've you know got everything you wanted to do with the hoaxes? Yeah, I keep. I would keep on every time I found out about a new one. I would look for it, and somehow sometimes it would be obscure and. maybe published only in very few numbers and but i would still track it and eventually find it but i was always discovering there were more that i didn't know about so so it keeps on sort of uh, opening up uh, uh, these pieces <laughs> so much so that i don't know you know in that first section called tales for bibliophiles yeah uh, uh, the last piece in that the secret bookshop you know yes uh, that's a bit of bibliospoof and hoax itself i don't know how many people readers oh. re- uh, realize that but uh, yeah sometime when you look at it again you can uh, <laughs> you, you you'll be abused because there's a clue there that gives it away but i'm surprised that you know people actually didn't uh, catch on to it oh i was sort of very tempted to do that because uh, you know one of the uh, printers i had admired uh, called paul nash of the strawberry hill Uh, press he uh, i i do talk about his uh, christopher larkspur if you remember yes yes uh, st ronan printing press yes so he he uh, he'd made up that whole thing and so i i was sort of inspired to do uh, something like that okay uh, so what he did was he he sort of made it look like there was actually a printer like that and a press like that <laughs> and he came up with an entire checklist of titles that had been printed by him all of course <laughs> non-existent books uh, but done very bibliographically very uh, sound sort of thing you know uh, giving the year the edition <laughs> very elaborate kind of uh, spoof or hoax Yeah. So I took a little clue from that and decided to do a little piece for the thing. And this was published in the Hindu. And I thought I'd hear from someone that there was this whole thing was a joke, but everybody actually took it uh, seriously. Oh, maybe that's because it, it it was a column, and so they didn't. Put, for me, when I read it, I just didn't follow the instruction at the bottom. And then when you mentioned it, I said, "Oh, <laughs> you know," and I connected it back to the the hoax chapter. But uh, yeah, that was put in by the editor who felt that had to be there. Initially, yeah. I didn't have it. I said, "No, it would spoil it if you have to actually, you know, uh, say that there, yeah. because then." in a moment they can sort of look it up and then it would be yeah. thing it it should just you know for those who know it would be you know like the in joke in the whole thing those who don't can look it up always rather than asking <laughs> them to think but then i thought okay maybe it might be interesting because you did it and then you found that you know it was uh, interesting to look that up but yeah. manjula there's a as i told you there's a clue in the story earlier itself huh. that didn't need this last thing oh Yeah, that's the one that really surprised me that people didn't uh, didn't catch on to. What what was it? Oh, okay. Because I'll, that I'll doesn't need any and... footnote. You know, it doesn't need any footnote. It kind <laughs> of yeah. You look it up and you you tell me. Yeah, I'm sure you'll I'll catch it. <laughs> yeah, I don't want to give the audience any spoilers. Yeah. <laughs> you, know? <laughs> you know, when I was reading this, uh, this I think uh, the Philip Bishop chapter. Yeah, collecting yeah. motion depth. 
this one uh, this particular thing um, i've i've written here um, uh, the statement that described him as smitten driven narrowly focused unrelenting monomania and actually in the margin of it sounds like the writer like the author <laughs> okay <laughs> <laughs> oh my god I, like <laughs> I I mean kindergarten compared to him it's uh, they are such dedicated devoted collectors manjula I mean I would never be you know anywhere close to them so there are levels I mean, of this huh sorry there are levels and levels of this clearly. yeah yeah levels he's oh no as I've written there he's probably one one of the finest examples of somebody collecting in depth today you know Mm. uh because it takes a great deal of discipline you know you you have to find something for instance that you don't have in your collection that's related to uh mosha let's say the the press and the printer yes. that he's collecting yes. but then you find something very very attractive uh, mm. that's not related to to mosha mm. so as a collector like a magpie you want to just go and kind of is glinting there you yeah. know it's so attractive you want to think it takes yeah. a lot of discipline to say no i have to keep the funds for you know my focus yeah i can't i can't afford to you know because i i'm so attracted to this i can't afford to think yeah no i when i was reading this and reading about all these people i was and you mentioned that not everybody isn't like you know as if doesn't have deep pockets and yeah everybody doesn't have deep pockets and you know often collectors you know kind of like push themselves to the brink to get what they want so personally what has it been like for you you know you alluded to it occasionally you know having to uh, give away something and get the credit to buy but this and plus the you know the fact that indian uh, the indian rupee doesn't go very far still yes. so you know those sort of things what was the experience in in terms of what you know when you're collecting uh, and you have these uh, uh, things that hold you back you know how do you navigate it because i'm sure all collectors have something you know they unless you are very very rich how many people are very very rich so the for the average, okay how, how do you hold back from sort of overspending or becoming yeah you know how rich? do you yeah it's good it's a good question it's a uh, it uh, it's a difficult one because i've been pushing the boundaries myself yeah uh some few years ago if you asked me would i spend something like this on something i would have said absolutely not you know mm-hmm. uh but i'm i'm surprised to find that you know that has been pushed so but <laughs> there is for me definitely a, a, a absolute limit because i don't have those kind of funds uh, mm. and uh, bishop philip bishop is not wealthy but certainly he's uh, when i put myself next to him he would be uh, he would certainly be uh, fairly a wealthy collector but then when he puts himself against a lot of these uh, you know millionaires mm. who also collect then he would be of course you know not in their league mm. um, every purchase for philip uh, is something that he has to work out uh, i remember him you know he's got this memoir that he's been writing now is book collecting memoir for the last you know 10 years mm. it's now like a 800 page book uh, yeah. he sent me the manuscript of that so i enjoy reading that over and over again yeah. uh, it's a good thing he has not published it because he keeps making huge discoveries just in the last 2 years <laughs> you know if he had published it then that, those discoveries wouldn't have gotten over there um so he 
he describes in the memoir <laughs> he describes in the memoir how he had to work out one purchase the most expensive purchase he made i think it was maybe $10,000 or something at that time or 20,000 mm. and that's not something he had with him mm. he, he had to ask his sister for a loan then he oh. had to arrange uh, he had to sell something from his collection that uh, uh, was uh, very pretty and that he liked but if he needed to make room for this, he had to let go of that. So he had to do uh, various different things and then send the full amount in post-dated checks to the person he was Gosh. buying it from. <laughs> <laughs> and and finally, when the payments were over, the book came. You know, he had to wait and wait and wait. So, oh. yeah. So that's how you negotiate and try to make uh, some space for these things. So you say, okay, if I'm buying this now for the next six months, three months, I'm I can't uh, look at anything else. Uh, that's it. Sounds a bit strenuous, <laughs> you know. Even if the <laughs> even if the rewards at the end are great, I'm sure <laughs> it must be great satisfaction to have what you know. I mean, yes. And the, in the memoir, he says how after some time he was able to repay that loan to his sister. He he, re, he repaid it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah okay here you know this in this section i've i've written what about the types in india again i'm thinking about you know this is the, when we are talking about in europe too there were accomplished printers presses and type designers i think we went over this you know but what about the, like the 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 fonts and the types for indian uh, that must be another whole area right like while i was reading this book i was thinking there are many you know, by ways that that could be whole, I mean, books by themselves. So, you know, Indian fonts and that sort of thing. Yeah, that, uh, you know, th there's a piece over there. If you haven't read it, I definitely uh, encourage you to read it since you're curious about this. It's the one uh, titled Chasing a Rare Indian Type Specimen Book. It's a very short piece. It comes right in the beginning. Okay, uh, huh. It's a very short. It was, a, it was actually a, a column piece, so it's short. It just maybe. Okay like 900 words or something. It's called okay. Chasing a Rare Indian Type Specimen Book. Okay. Uh, yeah, you can read it at your leisure, but uh, let me fill you in on that since you're interested. Ah, yeah. Like, I don't know if you remember since uh, we're all about, I think about the, you know, we are contemporaries in some way. Yes, yes. You'd remember that when you were in school and college, there mm -hmm. were all these letterpress shops do you remember? Yes, I remember, yeah, I remember, yeah, yeah, yeah. which have vanished yeah. now, of course. Which have vanished, yeah. Except there is a kind of boutique uh, letterpress being done for wedding cards, yes. things like that. I don't know if you know about it. It's, it's kind of... Yeah, I've seen some small ones in Bombay. Business cards, yeah, business yeah. cards and things yeah. like that, right? But yeah. before that, before that, up to, I think, about the 1990s, we had several letterpress shops in India. Yeah, yeah. And in fact, I stumbled on, you know, this whole thing, this uh, Gujarati type foundry, GTF, which is what this little piece is about. Yes, yes, I read that now that you mentioned the uh, Gujarati. Uh, yeah, yes, that's the I one. Yeah. GTF, yeah, Gujarati GTF. type foundry. Yeah. yeah. So they were so good at what they were doing, you know, very labor intensive, of course. Yes. Plus extremely skilled in what they did. Uh, they were able to compete with the best European type foundries. You know, they were able to supply fine yeah. press printers around the world with the, uh, mm -hmm all these type, types, uh, they had to just give them the, uh, you know, the design mm. or sometimes they would design it and then these people would actually uh, cast it, you know. You have to cast it in metal, right? Yes. And then you have yes. to, a punch cutter will have to punch and cut each letter in, in, uh, in, in steel or whatever mm. or lead tin and antimony. That's what 
those things are made of those three yes. alloys yes so they have to do this and you know so they would put out these type specimen books and they have become very scarce now mm. so i i discovered this somebody in britain talking about uh, how they were uh, wanting to find one of these books and i said well if they are looking for it as an indian i should look for it and <laughs> i looked and you know i i i i found one mm. uh, but to come to your point it, it, this kind of they had to close sometime in the 1990s when all the other letter press uh, shops also closed up yeah you know, everybody was going uh, completely into first uh, you know offset and then yes. from offset now of course it's all completely digital or whatever yeah but uh, when you talk about indian languages and coming up with uh, you know fonts for that a lot of young people now uh, who actually study in the us and uk and europe who are doing uh, courses in typography yes uh, they all become interested in designing letters for indian languages yes so they're doing it digital, digitally though you know mm-hmm. so they are they are designing entire uh, alphabets for uh, hindi gujarati tamil bengali mm-hmm. and they're very beautiful some of their work you know they mm-hmm. they are they are schooled in in the history of yes, uh, type I, uh, yeah. type design so yes. they know their precedents they know what sort of types have come before and they're able to sort of work use that as a model and sort of come up with some very fine designs mm-hmm. and i found yeah. it very funny at the end of the gtf cha- chapter when you talk about clarendon is tilak bodoni's go with <laughs> that was very funny one aspect that amused me no end was that many well known typefaces have been given indian names uh, <laughs> vivek on <laughs> goldie old style is rupam sees i can imagine people doing this yeah <laughs> yeah and you say its history is yet to be written that's true yeah so that's what it I is is there sorry that's what i meant when i said that i was reading the book and i was thinking i don't know you know from my perspective i say oh there's a book in that and there's a book in that of course the me i'm sure uh, you know a lot of people are thinking about <laughs> the books that they need to write in those specific fields but I, i while i was reading your book i was thinking okay you know so i found your book interesting because it made me think of other things also and it made me like kind of like look up many things as well so you know there are i think some book scholars uh, print scholars in india who are trying to work on this mm. on this history of uh, you know the letter form or uh, letter press in india so hopefully yeah. something will come out of that yeah and i i would also wonder whether you know there's a is there a copy of curry and rice going around somewhere because i would love to read it this one where you said although offered several examples in the past it was only in 2019 that richard finally acquired a copy of george atkinson's supreme satire of british society in mofasil india curry and rice you know and i was yeah, thinking I, somebody <laughs> should reissue this Some they, they should yeah they should if they haven't yeah. already they should i've never actually looked up a copy but uh, it would be certainly be both interesting and, and i remember another book uh that another collector also an american collected hmm. uh it was one of the first uh, uh books written about uh, exp- the first book written by an indian uh, policeman uh he was uh, from madras uh ah. and he wrote uh, he had a he wrote a memoir uh so that's a very interesting and scarce book that people look for to oh he he was indian as in like he was indian indian or he was british indian or he he was uh, i think he was I think he was British Indian, 
but okay. wrote about the indian police force at the time that he he was working in you know oh okay. it was called memoirs of something of a indian uh, policeman or something like that and i found this a bit about the bird books and people uh, you know selling uh, those plates separately that's also quite quite something and you know while i was reading this i was thinking that bird watching and this area seems somehow you know it need the same sort of set of kind of skills in being like focused and in you know chasing after i don't know whether you agree with me but <laughs> what do you think you know people interested in bird books no 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 people, people who... yeah people no people inter- like bird watchers and yeah. you know and collectors of rare books i i think there's something similar you know in <laughs> yes books. yeah you know it, it possible I, i i write about one birder there who also is a collector yeah yeah ashish ashish piti yeah. ashish piti yeah and yeah, you know yeah. i'm not surprised i don't know i in fact i've spoken to him on the podcast as well with with his okay. last book. and you know maybe that's why i thought of this because when i read that yeah. chapter and i thought oh i didn't know he also did this but i, I and then it set me thinking that it it kind of requires the same sort of skills almost you know this attention to detail and this very great focus yes yes in fact he you know that's what led him to write uh, you know the first bibliography of indian uh, bird books right ah, that's yeah. uh, that's what he is now primarily sort of uh, known for yes. as the uh, south asia's first bibliographer of bird books so bibliography is no joke i mean unless you're interested in you know these the minutiae of uh, of uh, you know editions and you know yeah because you have to be accurate the whole job of a bibliographer is to get 100% accuracy you can't even be like 99% accurate you can't yeah you can't very painstaking extremely painstaking so i'm um, i'm not surprised so, so i was right i think about that the details yeah, yeah. <laughs> being detail oriented right okay so um this this bit also in another one yeah this jerry kelly's zaff zaff is that how you pronounce yes. it yes okay so here there's a slight uh, there might be a slight d which is very soft zaff zaff because it's a german thing yes. so it's a d plus z z together zaff okay. german zaff zaff yeah zaff yeah zaff okay Yeah. So this particular chapter made me think, you know, the deeper you go into something, the more complex and sometimes more wonderful it becomes. You know, this—that's what this this at least Zaf's story made me think of. You know, I don't know whether you agree. You know, in in terms of his life. In terms of the work, and uh, you know, yeah, the, his yeah. life's work. Certainly, certainly. You know, so. Certainly, yeah. His his life's work is sort of monumental. Yeah, and then uh, Jerry Kelly's student sort of uh, making uh, Zaf his life. That's project. also monumental. Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, it's both uh, monumental. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> cool. And then, uh, but uh, tell me, what was the most um, like? While you were, how long did it take you to put this book together? I mean, I know you've done the the columns, but you know, when you thought of putting it together, or it was just it just happened. Oh, yeah, exactly. But little less than a year. Okay. because half the pieces were already there oh. and the other half is something that i i wrote for the book okay uh, so that's what probably i spent some time on and i updated those earlier published pieces well i had to kind of sometimes i kind of uh, lengthened them i kind of you know made them uh, added things to them or reworked them a little bit and so on so that kind of thing yeah 
but that other book took me much longer the earlier book because that's entirely written fresh as a book uh so that was like a longer kind of project yeah and you know these uh, persian miniatures and the mughal miniatures and all that you've been uh, you've yes. been collecting i mean that seems to me yeah it 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 grows out of this but it seems like a uh, like an entirely new sort of direction because i i'm you know while i was reading it as wondering do you read persian you know no that, you no know? no Or is this the beauty of the just the sheer beauty of manuscripts uh, which yeah. are uh, you know hand painted and gilded yeah. i discovered that first in the west mm. i first discovered it in the in the arts and crafts books you know yes yes yeah because they had a they, it was letter press yeah. on handmade paper yeah. but then they would take the initial you know that opened a chapter for instance a large initial Yeah. And then they would kind of hand color it and yeah. some would even add gold gilding to it. Yes. Uh, yes. And that came from the tradition of the illuminated manuscripts, you know. Yes. So yeah. this was a combination of both uh, uh, you, uh you know uh printing, fine printing, yes, uh, fine bookmaking uh, married to manuscript making. So both. And then I slowly drifted from that to actual manuscripts, first western. Yeah. Uh. And now completely looking at you know uh, Eastern uh, manuscripts, um, I'll never be able to really collect them in the way I collected fine press books because uh, of simply the uh, you know uh, a question of money of funds for that. Uh, but comparatively, if you put like a, a manuscript or a miniature from the East uh, and to a Western miniature, like the Western miniature is like ten times more. Uh, in the market, you know, mm-hmm. so that makes it a little easier uh, to kind of look at uh, acquiring at least a few examples of um, of, of Indian of Eastern, yeah, of Eastern, yeah, Indian Persian. Mm-hmm. Mainly, it would be uh, you know Turkey, Ottoman, Persian, and uh, Indian, you know, mm-hmm. and much of the Indian work comes from Kashmir. You know, they they were yes. they did the finest uh, thing. So basically, these things. So I look out for uh, miniatures uh, which are. uh sort of loose from a manuscript so many of them are sort of so over the years so badly damaged that they are never together they're all kind of loose unbound mm. disbound mm. so people are selling off just the miniatures because more than the text that is uh, what was probably the most attractive thing about the book though several pages of calligraphy also is very beautiful you know it's all handwritten right so it's not yes. printed yes yes uh, and so So I buy examples of uh, both just calligraphy and also miniatures, but I've been lucky to acquire maybe so far four manuscript books, entire books. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, with some have one has about six miniatures, and the other one, the best one I have, has about twenty-two miniatures. Wow, that's a half-fizz one. Yeah, half-fizz one. Yeah, something like that. If it was a Western illuminated book, mm-hmm. a manuscript with twenty-two miniatures. Mm-hmm. I would never ever be able to afford it, you know. Do you think this is because it's early days yet, and you know, and soon this would? I mean, I don't know. I don't think this is going to stay affordable very long. Somehow, you know. <laughs> no, <laughs> uh, you're right. It's a. Uh, it's not. But uh, so far, I think uh, it's. Uh, what I'm seeing is, I I basically go by auction prices. Mm. Uh, so. i see that the interest is uh, there but maybe not in that uh, overwhelming way it is for uh, western manuscripts okay oh 
and and and, and so is you're just led by the absolute beauty of these things right and you know i finally in connecting to something that's uh, closer home i think that's what is also has been so appealing for me you know uh, let's say when i look at a persian uh, miniature and an indian miniature mm-hmm. i feel much closer to the indian miniature even than the persian miniature even the of course, persian yeah. seems a little removed from yes. <laughs> uh, yeah the anyway, even the features of the people that they're painting look different right in persian miniatures yes. the yes. more sort of absolutely yeah I, i've noticed that no i'm saying no no especially the kashmiri one yeah. uh, i found I I didn't know anything about it when I saw a few examples in an auction. Yeah. I didn't know it was Kashmiri, I didn't know it was Indian, I didn't know anything, you know. Mm-hmm. They just look so uh you know it's sort of uh, uh so exquisite to me that I just decided to to pursue it and later found out that you know this basically came from uh Kashmir, you know, mm-hmm. the Kashmiri uh, school, various schools. Yes, I will let you discover its provenance for yourself when you read the book. which is this one where the lure of the hunt you know you talk about somebody finds a ticket to the indian round table th- 1931 indian round table conference in the copy of uh, death of a salesman i'm sure this sort of thing is what really excites collectors right yes the the accidental uh, finds the discoveries yeah. that that's what absolutely sort of makes your day or even makes your uh, <laughs> makes your collecting moment absolutely so you do you have any uh, you know i'm sure you have moments like that you know where you've discovered something and you've just just blown your mind oh uh, yeah several i think uh which i wrote about in the last book let me try and recollect uh it, it'll come to me we can keep talking <laughs> uh, uh, since you're interested in uh, interesting characters in the antiquarian uh, thing world There's, I don't know if you had a chance to look at that scru- scruffy incunabulist. Yes, uh, I, did. I did. A character called Solomon Portisman, who, yes. who I thought was uh, endearing, though exas- exasperating as well to everybody who knew him. But he was quite a fascinating person. Huh. Yeah. And to think of a, a find I may have made. Um, And this was lovely. I derive a similar mixed pleasure from a book that I discovered wasting its sweetness unrecognized on the shelves of a country bookshop. Writes Sparrow, a book printed in 1601 in Venice that bore the motto and signature of John Donne upon its title page. Wow! I mean, I was like struck by this. Imagine such a find, but Sparrow is simply indifferent to it. <laughs> Why? Why? <laughs> He speaks of another personal find that filled him with pleasure. Let me me- now mention one more book that passed through his that's Dunn's hands and now is mine. It was the first expensive book I ever bought, the first edition of Dunn's first publication Pseudomata in 1690. Sparrow goes on to describe this particular copy and all that, but you know, this thing about how does a collector choose? So it's it's kind of irrational, right? How does a collector choose because to me both those books are great. right and finding it absolutely be, yeah uh, but it, it is <laughs> yeah yeah so i'm thinking it's a very personal thing that you choose to uh, get hooked on one thing and not the other right yeah i, I mean for him again i think uh, he's sort of the sense of uh, what touches him you mm-hmm. know it love to be so uh, it's uh, what can i say uh, uh, what's the word uh, i i think it says to be so rich 
you know it's not enough that this is a, a book owned by don dan touched by john dan and touched by him and you know it even has his book plate or whatever uh for him it has to uh, uh, reverberate with so many other associations uh very meaningful associations that alone is not enough i remember i wrote i i read about a book i think there that he has which has a fantastic provenance of uh, belonging to three or four of the greatest collectors yes, and collectors yes. you know yeah. even but that is also leaves him sort of very cool it's not very <laughs> thing by it i'm so excited when i find just one provenance like that uh, yeah yeah so i guess it differs fact, from since you asked me about the find yeah. not exactly find since we're talking about provenance uh, yeah. i didn't include that uh, piece actually i did write it yeah. and i've included it uh, actually i'd leave out about 25 pieces out of the book oh because it, yeah they gave me a word limit and i had kind of exceeded that so i had to ditch <laughs> it uh, but this was you know i was in a just a ordinary used bookshop you know a uh, second hand bookshop i was they had a sale going on so i was rummaging very quickly you know yeah. and i was uh, filling in whole bags of books because it was all being sold off for very little okay and uh, in my sort of uh, browsing i pulled one book looked at it it had a nice binding it was all in french okay. but it had a very nice beautiful leather binding you know with gilt uh, work on the spine and all that Mm. that's what attracted me to i pulled it but i found out it was entirely in french i said it's not going to make any sense <laughs> and in the corner of my eye, i even saw something i thought it was interesting but i didn't pay attention to it because i was in a hurry to uh, make sure i'm looking at all the other shelves so i put it back and after i bought all my books and i went back uh, you know the image of that book came back again yeah. and it flashed to that little thing i saw you know yeah and uh, i remember that it was an a book plate you know yeah. and it was not just a, a book plate in just a uh, paper uh, affixed to it mm. as normally would be but i think it was a leather it was even shiny it had some gold in it so i went back and for the life of me i could not remember which shelf it was on yeah. so i spent hours <laughs> looking for i don't i don't he didn't even know what all i knew was it had like a nice leather binding then yeah. that bookshop had a lot of books in leather so okay. i was pulling out books putting them back pulling out books putting them back and when i was taking out uh, these books i didn't even know what i should actually look for you know mm-hmm. <laughs> and finally when i was almost about to give up i found it and and i opened it i found that it had the you know this was a leather book plate mm-hmm. uh, some of the richer collectors would actually have the book plate in leather mm-hmm. and then it will be gold tooled you know their name and each of them have like a coat of arms or mm-hmm. or or, or their uh they have like a like a little picture mm. that they want to associate uh, with uh, their collection yes uh you know some graphic yeah. so that there would be a little graphic so this was uh, the book plate of robert ho uh, oh. you know probably uh, yeah one of uh, 20th century is probably the greatest uh, collect book collector of the 20th century yeah you mentioned it you mentioned yeah. it so that that's what i so it turned out to be his book yeah it turned out to be a book from his library oh and uh, for me that was great excitement because i had read about the collector i had uh, you know to use such a legend mm. uh, wow. so that kind of uh, it it was a, it was a sort of fine because the bookshop didn't realize that this book because it had this book plate should be about maybe 10 or 20 times more the price it was just 
price normally uh, so immediately went and you know uh, bought it so the, this aspect of the of this of this sudden discovery of a treasure which maybe only other people who are also as clued in would understand that's also a big plus right it, that's one of the thrills that you get out of this yeah that's that's the that's what happens the knowledge that you acquire as a collector right uh, and in terms of the dealer not knowing as much as you Uh, so you get the better of the dealer many collectors have over the ages over centuries you know uh, many collectors have done that uh, yeah. you know john uh, uh, sort of dunning did that uh, i don't know if you've read uh, his bibliomystery his bibliomysteries no, you'll I find them very very like, interesting you mentioned them there and i that's another thing i thought oh i should add to my reading list and i've made a yeah. list of books you'll enjoy john john dunning books he's written about four Okay. then he stopped because he got sick and uh, he couldn't write any more okay. uh, but he has a cop who's a who who happens to also be a book collector a detective <laughs> cop and then he retires from the force and then turns full time uh, into uh, both a dealer and a collector you know but anyway th- those are his books but dunning is, himself is he, is he one of the guys in in the book where uh, the the guilty party his hands are chopped off <laughs> the forger no oh, no that's a more newer book that's a very uh, came a couple of years before <laughs> called the forgers the forgers yeah. yeah yeah because he was a forger his hands were cut off yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, no this is the dunning's books are from little earlier maybe okay. like 10 years earlier but he himself dunning huh. talks about a time when he was in a book fair and then he was uh, he wandered in and he found out there was the uh, the wizard of oz you know ha huh, ha huh. and he and he thought that this was a first printing you know and that's okay. a very very expensive book to have a first printing of the wizard of oz yes but he had to be absolutely sure uh, that that's what it was a first printing mm. uh, and so he uh, kind of steps out of the fair he goes looking in the fair for if somebody has a bibliography of Uh, of the books of frank baum you know the writer of yes. the visit of oz yes. and finds it and notes what the first printing bibliographical details are you know mm. uh, and then comes into the bookshop looks casually at this and then each what they call a point you know these things are called points yeah. uh, first first printing of first edition points all the first edition points match you know and so he uh. Uh, so he says this is uh, you know that's and then he went and bought the book very quietly not telling the dealer what it was <laughs> <laughs> okay great so i can see the thrills you know so yeah, you know you know pradeep i can keep talking to you about uh, about you know things that came up while i was reading this book but you know have to end now because well um so for the listeners Go out and get an Inky Parade Tales for Bibliophiles by Pradeep Sebastian. It's a lovely book. It's very interesting, and um, it's really. I mean, it kind of at least it made me want to read a lot more. So, which is always a good thing. So, thank you so much, Pradeep, for talking. Thank you, thank you, Manjula. It was a pleasure talking to you. Uh, enjoyed having a very discursive thing about the book. You've sort of looked at so many aspects of it, and I think you've. Uh, <laughs> uh, you got me to go uh, sort of uh, re-experience the book through you uh, and thank you so much okay bye bye to stay updated on this podcast follow us at hd smartcast on all the major social media platforms to listen to more such podcasts log on to www.hdsmartcast.com